Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Good morning, everyone. Let's jump in. Um, we are on chapter two of the book of Shemot, uh, verse 20. We read part of the Rashi last week. I'll read the verse again and then we'll jump into um, the, uh, the text itself. Vayomer el Benotav, he whom is now, who so far has only been identified as Reuel, said to his daughters, Vayo, Nu, where is he? We spoke about that V, what that Vav is doing, and the Ayo is a declined version of Aye, right? Aye, where? Him, where is he? Lama ze azavtenata ish. Why? Um, not sure exactly how to translate the ze. We want to go backwards, but there's a weird ze hanging out there. What, uh, one, of, one of the suggestions was, why this? Why have you done this? Azavtenata ish. You abandoned the man, although it's normally understood as a full phrase, fully interrogative. Why now have you abandoned or left behind the man? Kir enlo, go call him the yochal lachem, and and he will eat bread and let him eat bread, okay, or let him let him dine with us. So that's the shot. That's the the verse itself. Um, we looked at the Rashi on lama ze azaten. This notion of uh, how, why would it have been that that Ruel would have considered Yaakov, uh, Moshe someone worth beckoning into the tent? Or what, what about the story? Uh, unless Reuel is just a generally, you know, Abrahamic, hachnasat uh, orchim kind of a person, always welcoming people in. Why is he telling his daughters to go back and get this guy? And the Midrash is that from the fact that Moshe so easily drew the water from the well, according to their story, he must be a Jacobian. He must be a descendant of Yaakov. The Midrash of Yaakov actually having the Nile come up to his feet when he arrived in Egypt. And this again links to uh, Ruel Yitro's um, description in the Midrash of someone who already had put idolatry behind him and was drawn to the people he was about to be connected to at a family level. Okay. And now we get to the phrase, Vayochal Lachem, and, and let him eat bread. Uh, Matt, you were walking last time, so I couldn't call on you. Do you want to uh, be our sure. today? Can I suggest about Lamas there, though? Sure. What if we translate that as, why is it that you left the man? We could, except we just don't need the Zeh. Because, like, yeah, well, right, it, it could just be Lama Azav Ish. So you could do that. Um, and, and maybe that's the right answer. Uh, in for the, in for the text, it's not needed. What's that? Right, it's not needed, but just for the rhythm of the translation. Right. And, right. Yeah, and what do you want me to read? What I want you to read, whatever you want to read. No, um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, read the second Rashi on that verse by Yochal Lachem. Okay, hold on, I'll get there. By Yochal Lachem. Again, I'm dealing with Rashi script here, so bear with me. Shema, Shema Yisaf, Achat Miken, Kama. So first, first worth those four words because. Those okay. four words seem to be Rashi putting more words into Ruel slash Yitro's right. mouth. What does he mean when he says, and let him eat bread? Okay. Shema Yisach Achat Mikem. I'm not clear. Maybe he will talk with one of you. Yisach. It's an Aleph at the end. Oh, Yisach. Oh. Bring? Bring? Let's... 
So, so the root is nun sin aleph, which can mean to bring or to bear or to carry or to raise or nisuin. Oh, Mary, maybe he'll marry. Maybe he'll marry one of you. Maybe he'll marry one of you. Shema in Hebrew means both a lest, something that you don't want to happen. It also just means an open-ended perhaps. Maybe it'll happen. So the first thing that Rashi says is somewhere hidden in the two words, the eight letters of Ayochal Lachem, midrashically, is an inference, a connection to a shirach. Maybe, maybe you'll, one of you will marry him. What could possibly be the connection? Keep going. Okay. Kama uh, here's Kmo. Okay, Amar. You say no. Right, and At. It's interesting. It, it's this is just a like a, a Talmudic rabbinic phrase. It's phrased in the second person as if it's addressing the text, like you the text said. Right, meaning it's basically saying Shne Amar as it says. Oh, right? okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, if because or for except if, for here the kiim is except for oh except for the bread except for the bread except for if the bread is missing he eats um asher not chaser you're you're reading the Rashi script Aleph as a chet oh okay <laughs> um. We'll pull back. Um, uh, which, which, where do you think? Is, all right. What What's the context of of where Rosh is quoting from in Breishit thirty nine? Anyone remember it? Not by number. I, I know. Go ahead, Marshall. This is the story of Pharaoh and Joseph. And right. uh, Pharaoh left all he had in Joseph's hands with him. He paid attention to nothing except the food that he ate. Right. So let me show you that uh, where that's from. And by the way, uh, we can thank Angel Lloyd Weber for reminding us that this is in chapter 39. It's all there in chapter 39 of Genesis, right? So he tells us where it's from. So um, chapter 39, uh, verse 6. Um, this is when, um, um, not Pharaoh, but, but Potiphar, when Yosef is ingratiating himself um, um, in Potiphar's home, by Azov Kolasherlo, he Potiphar had. Um, interesting. I just, I just realized this right now. This may be a nothing or something that we have the word Aziva uh, in this verse as well. The same root as we had before Lama Azavten of the Ish. That um, Potiphar left everything that belonged to him Biyad Yosef in Joseph's hands. Velo yada ito muuma, and he. I remember when we read this verse years ago, we were not sure exactly how to translate it. Something that with Yosef, Potiphar didn't, ha- didn't have to think about a thing, didn't pay attention to anything, except except for the food that he ate. And on that verse, uh, let's see if I can pull up Rashi here on that verse, because it's, it's uh, sense. okay. So on that verse, except the bread, Rashi said, this means his wife. But scripture here uses a euphemism um, for, for this. If I can actually pull it up in Hebrew. 
for some reason. I'll open there. Aha. Kima Lechem. He Ishto. That's his wife. Ela Shediber Belashunikia. So the way the, the, the Midrash reads that verse is, yeah, Potiphar didn't care about anything. Yosef had free range of everything, except for the bread. That would, be, that would seem strange. Ah, Lechem refers to his wife, right? The, 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 the basic sustenance of his home. So what Rashi is doing in our verse is saying, remember back when Lechem meant wife there, so too Lechem means wife here. Interestingly, the lechem in the verse in Genesis 39 is more odd and extraneous and then like um, inviting a midrash than in our verse. In our verse, it seems pretty straightforward. Let him come in and eat bread. Rashi says, no, I, I want to bring forward lechem from how I use it then. Let, let him come in and let him, let him be a part of our family. Maybe there'll be a, 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 an engagement process, right? Because we're, the midrash is trying to craft Ruel, right? The, the, the force is not just Moshe entering into Ruel's realm, but Ruel inviting Moshe into his realm because Ruel slash Yitro is already interested in attaching himself to that narrative, that story. Okay, so uh, Rick, you had a hand up. Um, yeah, it was, it was back on Zeh. Um, ah, okay. Uh, sorry I missed class last week, but um, you, uh, you said that the Zeh Sorry to quote you, but you said the Zed, you don't need it there. Yeah, you need the Zed there because that's Moses. Remember, he was Zed in the basket. And um, it just shows the individual can uh, accomplish things. That's all I'd uh, like to say about that. Good, I accept. And Barry, I think I saw your hand up before, but now it's down. Do you want to um, resurrect what you were going to say? Uh, yeah, so the, the, it's the, the the metaphor of the well. Uh, it goes all the way back to uh, um, Abraham's slave and how he, he found uh, for Yitzhak and uh, and Yaakov and how he found his. And uh, the, the the metaphor of the well always leads it it, it leads to a marriage. And and so uh, uh, Ruel uh, is the former high priest of his tribe. Uh, he has sensitivity to this. And so he, he knows that his uh, seven daughters were down at the well. And this man is over there, uh, surely. Uh, so knew why one of you was going to marry this man. Got it. Right. So um, that in words, Lechem is what's driving this marriage association. But the whole scene, as we learn from Breshid, is a place where Shadaks are made. Well, I'm going back to your your your, your interpretation of the word uh, new. Right, exactly. Good, um, Matt. Since you're on the you know you're 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 on the on the mark as it were. Anything else you want to add before we move forward? Because that was a, a kind of a short Rashi. Uh, do I want to add anything? No, except okay. that it depends. As President Clinton said, the meaning depends on what Zeh is. Correct. What? What is is. <laughs> All right, so let's give you another verse because um, that, that was a shorty. So um, that concludes verse 20. We now go to verse 21. Where this is going to take us a long time because they're interesting words. And um, actually, no, well, 21 and 23 together. Sorry, I misread. 21, we'll see how long it takes. Go ahead. Okay. Vayoel Moshe Lashevet et Haish. And before you translate, going back to what we were just talking about, what's driving, I believe, Rashi's reading as Vayocha Lechem. 
as relating to marriage, particularly because the, the presence of the word lechem is not as odd as it is in the, in the uh, Yosef situation, is this very verse. Because as we're about to see, as, as, as uh, Matt translates, he came in for bread, but he left with a wife. Keep going. And he need, actually, he needed a wife, just like we need bread. Yes. With a K. With, without a K. All right. Um, uh, very nice. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, that was very you know, nice. Very, very inappropriate. Um, I guess that means he was willing to sit at Taish with the man. Good. Uh, and he gave Tzipora, his daughter, to Moshe. Good. Okay, so we've got a couple of things that we have to work on in this verse, right? It's not a lot of words, but they're interesting words. So first, let's do the second one first. The et here... Um, we've been through this many times. Biblically, right. can mean with, in addition to meaning direct object. So, since lashevet is not a transitive verb, it's it's not it's not doing something to something else. It's a stative verb. It's sitting. The et here has to be a um, a with. So, to sit with the man and vayoel. Vayoel is a very very interesting Hebrew word. You translated it, I assume, by context as willingness, right? Right. Yeah, not, I'm thinking when you speak Hebrew, you say sometimes you say "ho'il" something or other. It, it it gives a sort of conditionalness. Yeah, "ho'il" operates like as a since, like almost like as a, a conditionality, like yeah. since this, then that. Right. Um, it's it's very hard to figure out what root this word is from. We're gonna do a little bit of excavation here. Okay. Look at the uncleus. What, how does, what, what verb does uncleus use to translate vayo el, Matt? Uh, okay, uncleus, hold on a second. Um, where are we, 21? Oh, I'll get there. Hold on. Okay. Utsvi, Moshe. Is that? Utsvi. Tzari bet yud. In Hebrew, Tzari bet yud means deer as a noun, but right. in Aramaic, dun, 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 look at the jazz drum putting up there. Uh, so look at Sadi Bet Yud. Um, the second, not this entry, this is to swell or to, um, to get bigger. You, you have that verb in Hebrew in the story of the Sota, that her belly might swell as a result of drinking the waters. But if you look at this one, which is the Aramaic entry, Tzvei or Tzva, um, to find pleasure in, to choose, to huh. desire. Okay? Okay. So, Uncleus almost certainly means this one. He's translating Utsvi as being, as you said, being willing to, to desire, to want to, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not you don't see it, and you don't see that um, um, uh, in very many places. But I'll tell you, many of you have something in your house right now that has this Aramaic root written in it. The, 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 the wedding contract. The ketubah. Utsfiat marat nechama bat shlomo, right? When it says that each party is agreeing to the terms, it's utsvi or utsviat, right? So probably Uncleus means that, right? That, that um, he agreed. Um, Everett Fox translates it as Agreed. Moshe agreed to settle down with the man. Interesting. He, he reads here, Lashevet is not to sit, but to settle down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'd like to hear other translations that people have in front of them, how GPS translates it and any others that you have. And I and particularly would like to hear anyone who has the art scroll translation, because I want to hear how impacted it is by Rashi. Uh, point out that major coincidence, my name is Yoel, and my father's name was Tzvi. Coincidence? Cool. I, don't think so. I don't think so. There are no coincidences. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, Diane Larry? You can look this up. So um, the agreed or consented, it is consented, obviously, in the JPS and in um, <clears throat> Alter, he says um, agreed. And agreed kind of implies that someone else has suggested something and you would simply assent to it. But um, our friend Arya Kaplan, he says, and Moses decided to live with a man. And decided is such a powerful um, word that suggests that he wasn't asked. He simply decided, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to do. And I think that the two different, uh, those two different themes or translation are really important. Yeah, I had never, I'd never seen decided. So I'm glad you brought that one up. Um, it seems to be a, a soft midrash on the Aramaic Utsvi. Um, but again, the, the fact that Unculus translates it as Utsvi doesn't mean that Unculus is right. It just means that that's how they understood it then. So Arya okay. Kaplan can certainly... And has the art scroll. Art scroll? Art scroll says, Moses desired, desired to dwell with the man. <clears throat> Desired. Okay, so our, our scroll is pretty plain here, which actually makes sense because the first thing we're about to read, I'm going to give you the preview, is that is Rashi basically agreeing with Unculus, but then he goes in a slightly different direction. That person uh, says Moses agreed to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Tipora to Moses. Okay. Uh, so Alan? Yeah, I'm looking at the JPS Miguel Dolot. And it says this about uh, the Rashi 21. It says, Moses consented. The Targum indicates that this is the correct translation. Midrashically, it is to be interpreted not from Yoel, Yud Alev Lamed, but from Ela, E Alev Lamed Hey. Hold the thoughts. Hold the thoughts. I want to read that. I want to, I want to achieve that in the Rashi. So, so, uh, so hold that particular thought of it. Uh, Tova? Uh, Silberman says Moses was content to abide with the man. Huh, content. Okay, so uh, it's very similar to agree, right? but it's not exactly synonymous, right? It's saying something about his emotional state as opposed to, um, a, you know, um, like, a, like a, 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 a more active verb. Good. Any other interesting translation that people want to raise up? Okay, so we've got um, we, we've got on the table this notion of agree that can be consent or decide. Okay, now um, and, and before we look at the Rashi, were there any other comments or questions on the shot of the verse? Because we're before we get to the Rashi, we, we have this question of Yoel. Anything that anyone want to ask about or say about Bayitain et Sipora Vito Lemoshe that he gave Sipora? Uh, By the way, just look at the uh, the construction. You have an et. And then three words later, another et, but they're different ets, right? The et ha'ish is with the man. Et sipora is just an untranslated direct object. His daughter as, um, he gave sipora to Moshe, his daughter. Why, his daughter why, to Moshe. why not the other daughter? Okay, not so, good. So why, why is it um, sipora? And particularly because we don't know anything about sipora, right? All we know, no. up till now, they've just been sheva banot. Good. Right. 
uh, Andrew and Jared. Maybe she's the oldest one. I just wanted to point out with all this talk about consent and decree, I was or decision, I should say, uh, if anyone was sort of picking up the echoes here in this pasuk of a very similar story of Yaakov and Lavan in terms of handing off a, a, a daughter as a wife. Consent, though, I think is such an interesting counterpoint when Yaakov thought he was consenting and was being tricked. And that's kind of the, the vibe I get from this word, regardless of uh, its exact definition. Very interesting. Right. We don't have a scene where Moshe falls and like, lear- like is smitten by one of his women, right? Where we had with, uh, with Yaakov at the well, or even with Yitzchak when Rivka arrives. Um, this seems to be like an invitation into a tent um, that turns into a moment. And um, you're saying that it might be significant that, that, that M- M- Moshe is agreeing to everything that's happening and he's, he's not being taken advantage of. This is not an opportunity for a second, a second bedeckin. Uh, Vered, Vakasha. So I want to say that <clears throat> maybe the word Vayoel Ho'alti, this verb, has to do with Allah, something different that means totally different, like to swear in, in the idea that Moshe may be promised slash swear not to leave the father, not to leave the wife, not to leave the place. So it's kind of a, a promising thing that he's going to be there and just be with them. Yes. So we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit because Rashi goes in a similar direction, but just to have it hang out there, Aleph, Lamed, Hey, and Allah can mean an oath, a promise. Yes. Right? There are a lot of words for an oath yes. and promise. There's a shvu'ah, all the things that you say in, uh, in, in Kol Nijue, a neder, um, an asar. Asar, 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 asarai, nederai, all this. But one of them is Allah. And so you can yes. read, as Rashi is going to at the end of his comment, that this is related to not, not just like um, an agreement, but some kind of a, of a, of a heavy promise. promise. Tova, you're, yeah. I feel like you're about to say something, Tova? Just a comment on the verse as a whole. Uh, the, I'm interested in the relationship between the first clause and the second. So Moses desires, is content, desires, decided to dwell with the man. Um, and then uh, the giving of, of Yohevet, is it that the, as, a, as a consequence of his decision, therefore she's given to make him part of that household? So the, the salient thing is his decision to dwell there mm. and then sort of incidentally sealing that contract, mm. that decision, Sipporah is given. Um, it's a, it's a very astute way of, of, of reading, or at least potential way of reading it. Right, yeah. That these, these, were, these, were, these two things happened in succession rather than right. as one idea, that, the, that, that primarily Moshe agrees to throw his lot, as it were, la shevet. Exactly, he consented yeah. with Yoel, with um, Yitro. And as a result of that, he, he gets mm-hmm. a shadach, as opposed to he agreed to marry Zipporah, right? right. Very, very, very interesting. Um, and that might also go back to what Vered was hinting at, which we'll get to in the Rashi, of what, what's happening in this verb vayoel. Is it just agreement? Is it contend? Or is there some kind of a long-term commitment here? I, I commit to dwell with you. Ah, well, then let me give you a bride. Matt? 
it strikes me, I guess, based on what people have been saying or, or looking at it again, I was reading this as like a, f a flow of, from the previous sentence, but, but maybe not. Maybe there's a lot missing. Maybe most, most Moshe did come and he sat and they talked and then he hung out for a while. And a month later, Yitro said, you know, why don't you marry Tupora? Because that's, then Lashevit makes more sense as, as settled. It's just that the narrative was poorly edited. Too much was, <laughs> too much was taken out in the middle. And it's yeah. sort of ambiguous. Yeah, I mean, there are all sorts of, of, of potential ellipses in the text, right? Of, right. Of, of, of time passing without our knowing. It. In fact, um, we probably won't get to it today, but pretty soon we're going to have kind of a double ellipsis in the text where there's going to be like an interlude. We're going to be mid-narrative and then go into a three or four verse thingy and then go back to the narrative, which tells us that we never know exactly how much time is transpiring, transpiring in between the verses. Okay, I see a lot of hands, so let's do that. And then after these four hands, let's actually give Matt a chance to read the Rashi. Uh, Norm, then Diane Larry, then Barry, then Stevie. It seems to me that world folklore is filled with lots of stories where some guy shows up, he eats dinner with the family, and the next thing you know, he's married. So I right. think this may be the first of these stories, but yeah. it's certainly not the last. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's an archetype, whether or not we read Lechem as a euphemism for wife, it's still an archetype of, of, of a way these things would happen. Good. Uh, Diane Larry? So I just want to jump on what Matt said, because um, it's, it depends how you read Leshevet as to whether this verse is a continuation of some short story that, that you know, why did, why did you leave this man at the well? Sure, have him come break bread with us. And Moses came and sat with them, and then somehow <laughs> there's a, a an exchange, and he gets a wife. Or, uh, as Matt said, maybe this is a very long story, and the Lashevet is, and he came to dwell with them, and we've left out what happens when he comes back from the well, and it's really impossible to know. Mm. Mm. Right. Right. Good. Um, Barry, Stevie. Well, I, I'm responding to a, a question that uh, Norm posted. Uh, uh, how old is Moshe now, and does he really care uh, which daughter? And uh, and what the discussion we're having just a moment ago, it's very interesting. So that, um, yeah, uh, he, he, he first agrees to settle, and, and then he gets a wife. So uh, this is not a love thing, like Yaakov uh, loving someone. Um, uh, he's on the run from Egypt and he's found a place to settle. And uh, in the process, uh, he gets a wife. It's more of a Tevye <laughs> love than a, than a Yaakov Rachel love, right? That the, that the longevity, and I go back to uh, this notion of, of, um, of, of um, Bayoel as um, like making a commitment. It's a result of that commitment and that longevity that the relationship emerges as opposed to a, a momentary infatuation. Although even, by the way, when it comes to Yaakov and Rachel, um, there is um, the, the, the exact language is escaping me, but there's, there's a kiss before there's a love, which is, which is an interesting read in the sense that um, sometimes there's a, there's the feeling of love and that turns into an action. And sometimes there is an action 
a moving towards someone that actually builds a feeling of love. So even in that situation, it, it's a, it's a, it could be a subtle read on the notion of infatuation. Stevie? Uh, not much to say, but just that the last several verses have all been like one conversation or you know, connected to the, to the verse that came right before it in some, you know, with, without a chronological gap. And here we actually have like, there, it's not right. Moses is not part of the conversation that was in the last verse. It was not, you know, in that scene, he was somewhere geographically else. All right. They had left him. And so there's some sort of missing information here that, uh, I mean, it's not a strange phenomenon or anything, but just that uh, it's, been, it's been a few verses since we've had a gap of information like this about, you know, how did you get from, from point A to point B? Right. And going back to what Matt said in terms of how much time has transpired, in verse 20, he's a, he has not yet been invited into the tent. In verse 22, he's got a kid. Right. We're on verse 21. So I'm, but if you look ahead to verse 22, Gershom is coming. So we don't know how old Moshe is here. We know that when, according to tradition, when when Exodus happens, he's 80 because he's 120 after 40 years. And it doesn't seem it doesn't we don't there's nothing in the text that suggests that the that the interactions with Pharaoh with the 10 plagues take years. Right. So the question is, how many years is he in Midian before he goes back to Egypt? He does seem to have left Egypt as a young-ish man, right? But is he in Midian 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? So there is a, there's a, there's a weirdness in, in the um, transfer or the transpiring of time in these scenes. Okay, I see more hands. I do want to get to the Rashi, so it'll be this. It'll be Vered, Rick, and Norm, Rachel, and then we're going to read the Rashi. No more hands for, I mean, you can put the hands up. We're not going to call on you until we read the Rashi. Vered. Okay. Uh, another interesting way to read it, um, if we look in the next parasha Vayera in the story of Zdom, then Abraham says, Vayan Avraham, Vayomer, Ho'alti ledaber el Adonai. It's the same verb, which means some sort of you is uh, doing it with being humble kind of with lot of respect. So different readings than if you want to say it's a swear, Allah, which is a noun. But if you look at it as a verb, maybe it can be some some humility, some being respectful. Yes. If Good. I so, read well, this. so that's yet yet another um another thing to hold on to because in the in the very few lines that we're going to read in Rashi all of this is smushed in. So good that you picked up on that. And then we'll see that inside the Rashi. Rick okay. and then Norm Rachel. Hello. So um, <clears throat> when you say Joel, Yoel, I think of that piece of Haftorah from Shabbat Shuvah. That's the only Yoel I know. And I just thought I'd tell you, right at the beginning there, there's a marriage. The bridegroom comes out of his chamber, the bride from her canopied couch. So I just thought I'd throw that in there. From the, from, from the prophet, you know, good. Right, yes. and this, how we read the verb <coughs> impacts, going back to what our Joel said, what the word Joel means, right? It like, it does, right, the, the Hebrew Yoel was a prophet and the English Joel from that, what we think we mean by that are impacted by what we think this verse means or vice versa, right? Why was the prophet Joel named Yoel? Was it agreement, consent, swear, commitment? 
right? Humility. Norm Rachel. Um, I'm interested in this verb leshave or lashevis. It seems to me that it's ambiguous. Maybe Moshe agreed to come and dwell with him, but maybe he simply accepted the dinner invitation and said, yes, I'll come and sit at your table and eat dinner. And in the same way, when he was at the well, when he first arrived in Midian, we were told that he was sitting by the well, but it might mean that, he, that he'd established a residence there and was dwelling someplace very close to the well. I think there's an ambiguity in this verb. <laughs> so we really don't know even more than we knew we didn't know. Good. I'm so glad you brought that up again, um, because the, the two different possible ways you can read Lashevet to sit in the moment, like I am sitting in a chair right now versus to dwell, makes an enormous difference in terms of how we understand the, the timing of the scene. Wonderful, Norm. Okay, Matt, let's Ooh. read the Rashi after all this. Although what you're about to be reading is basically a, um, a running through of, of com- comparable places where the verb is used, and I'm going to be doing a lot of screen sharing because uh, I have them all queued up in Safaria. Go ahead. Awesome. All right. V-O-L, I'm not going to even try to translate it. Kitagamo, as its uncle has said, so, so, for, so first, Katargumo, he's already given you his answer, right? When he says Katargumo, it's one word, but that's Rashi saying, what does the word mean? Look at, uh, look at, uh, look at us. I agree with Uncleus. Utsvi, he agreed. And now he's going to give us textual support for it. Okay, it's similar to Ho'elna Valin okay. uh, from Shoftim. Let's, let's look at this one second. This is not just an interesting um, verb. This is from a, a classic and awful chapter of Tanakh, right? Some people consider the 19th chapter of the Book of Judges to be the, 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 the most um, traumatic and, and awful chapter of Tanakh. This is the story of the... Of the, uh, of the, um, the Levite concubine. Yes. No? Yeah. No, no, the... the um, no? Yeah, the Pelagish, correct, right? Right. Um, I don't want to get into it, but at some point, if you don't know chapter 39 of Judges, sorry, chapter 19 of Judges, go read it. What Rashi is interested in here is not like the macro disturbing context of the, of the chapter, but just a verb. But it happens to be in a very iconic chapter. Okay, so without getting into too much detail, they sat down. It's also interesting that, that the verb we're going for is later on, the, 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 the relationship to Yoel, but in this Context, we have a sitting and we have an eating, right? So we have a yeshiva and achila and a, you know, yoel ha'ala in the same verb, same verse. Yachtav together, vayishtu, they drank, vayomer. And the girl's father said, vayomer avihanara, the girl's father said, el ha'ish, the man, ho'elna velin ve'itav libecha. So how do we translate yoelna? Please agree to? Please, would, 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 would you be interested in staying over? Do you want to stay the night? And enjoy yourself? Okay. So here, Rashi's using this as a proof text, which means that Rashi thinks that the, that the meaning here is obvious. Please agree to. I'm inviting you in. And since it obviously, Ho'elna as a, almost like a, um, a soft uh, command, right? Ho'el is, is literally in the, in, the, in the command form, but it's not really an imperative. It's kind of a softened imperative. Uh, since it means, would you be willing to? And therefore, it means that in our verse. Okay, so that's his first one. Ho'el nava alin. Now go ahead to the next one. Uh, okay. Velu ho'alnu. Velu 
Ho'alnu. This is the chapter 7 of the book of Joshua, verse 7. Look at the verse. It's up on the page again. Vayomer Yehoshua. This is the, Joshua was the first uh, book after the Tanakh, after the, uh, the Torah, so the conquest of Canaan by Moshe's um, second in command. Aha! This is the first Yiddish in the, in the, uh, in the Torah. Aha! Aha! The spoon. Ah! Adonai Elohim, Lord God. Thank you, Matt. Lama ha'avarta ha'avir et ha'am. Why did you verily lead this nation, hazeh, et ha'ardain, over the Jordan? Latet otanu, to, to just to have a submit to biyad ha'amari, to the hands of the Amorites, laha'ad bidenu, that they should shmeist us. Velu ho'alnu v'neshev be'ever ha'ardain. This one is... It's more subtle. It's not as obvious agree. It's almost like a sigh. It's like a, if only we had. It operates almost as the, like the lule in lule amanti at the end of Psalm 27. If, if, if we only had hung out on that side of the Jordan, we wouldn't have to be fighting that Marites are fighting right now. So it's interesting that Rashi uses this as a proof text because you could ask just as many questions on this ho'alnu, in this verse, as you could in our vayoel. It's not as obvious, but, but to Rashi, it's obvious. I didn't check to see what Rashi says on this verse. Let me see if we can, there's an interesting thing. Does Rashi comment on it? We should have decided. Look at this. So if we look at Rashi on this, he reads, ah, wow, I, had not, I never look, looked at this way. He reads Poalnu as a halavai, uh-huh. as, as the same root. Halavai, oh, it would have been. Halavai nimlachnu lashevet be'eva hayardei mizracha. If only we had been willing to, if only we had decided to dwell there. So interesting, Rashi on our verse in Joshua does not read Ho'alnu the way Rashi on our verse in Shmot is reading it by sending us to this verse. I want everyone to understand that. I did not pick up on this until this moment. Rashi is using this verse in Joshua as a proof text that says that Uncle is his right, that says Vayoel Moshe means that he agreed to. But Rashi on the verse in Joshua is not really reading Lu Ho'alnu as agreed, but like a, a wistfulness, if only we had. So Rashi is allowed to disagree with himself. Okay? Hmm. Keep going. We just show. Uh, I know, you, skipped, you skipped one. You skipped oh, one. Ho'alti with the, sorry. Uh, Ho'alti with the bear from Genesis. Okay, so this is from Parshat Vayera. Uh, no. Parshad, um, it's told of. Um, maybe Chayesara. Um, so look at, no, it's Fayera. This is the Stomenamara. I, I should not have corrected myself. So this is when um, Avraham is arguing with God about. Wait, that's, your, that's your one mistake for the year, Rabbi. <laughs> yeah. Halavai. Oh, all new. In this chapter, um, the word Ho'alnu is used more than once. So our verse connects it to chapter 18, verse 27. So, Vaya'an Avraham Vayomar. Abraham responded to God and said, Hineina ho'alti ledaber el Adonai. Again, in this, the pshat of this verse is not as obvious as the one from Judges, where it seems to be clear that it's a agree because we read the shot of this verse as something like I, I, I I'm, I'm daring. I, I, I humble myself before God. I, I'm, I'm here. I, I venture to speak to my Lord. 
right? In fact, on this verse, Everett Fox reads it as, um, now pray I have ventured to speak to my Lord. That's not agree. So it's interesting that Rashi brings us to this, again, as a context. Or uh, I want to focus on um, what Rashi says right after Katargumo, vidomelo, similar. It's not the language that Rashi uses when he, when he tells us that the verse he's taking us to is exactly the same, right? Vidomelo, it's similar to, right? mm. 1827. Okay, before we move on to Umid Rasho, I wanted to read, read one other thing to you, um, which, which does not appear in this Rashi, but if you do some um, searching around, something else comes up. So hold on a second, let me get rid of this. Keep that one there. Okay, first chapter of Dvarim. Moshe's swan song, opening of Parshat Varim. Verse 5. Be'ever hayardain, on the other side of Jordan, be'eretz Moab, the land of Moab, ho'il Moshe be'er et ha-Torah hazot le'mor. Moshe ho'il, I'm going to untranslate it, be'er, to explain, et ha-Torah, the Torah, hazot, saying, mm-hmm. ho'il, look very much like a ho'alnu and vayoel, Okay. On, th- on this verse, Rashi says, he began reading ho'il as like hit chil, right? Ho'il, hit chil, as if somehow it was, it was a close enough verb, but it's the same verb, even though ho'il doesn't look exactly like hit chil. And here, Rashi goes to the same chapter that we were just looking at, meaning Rashi on, the, on Dvarim says, what does ho'il mean? It means Hidchil. How do I know it means Hidchil? Go back to Sodom and Amorah. Vayan Abraham Vimar Hinei Ho'alti. So Rashi in Deuteronomy is saying that Genesis 18, Ho'alti means to begin to, to start. But Rashi in Shmot is using Genesis 18 as saying, it doesn't mean begin to, it means agree to. There's a super commentary on Rashi that says the following. Shekan Kavanat Rashi Lehoalti. Here, the, the, the intent that Rashi has the word ho'alti, hasheni, the second ho'alti. What does it mean, the second ho'alti? Okay, so you see ho'alti here is in chapter 27, chapter, verse 27, but in verse 31, he says it again. So the super, super commentaries say, when Rashi in our verse in Shmot says that the vayoel Moshe, is like the hine naho alti, he means this one, the one in verse 31, which is agreement, because Rashi thinks that the first ho alti means hitchil. How do we know he thinks it means hitchil? Because he references that in his commentary on Dvarim. I know that's a little bit, you know, like an Escher painting, but I, I wanted to show you how Rashi is kind of talking to himself through us a little bit, and there were two ho'altis in, ver- in chapter 18 of Breshi. In one place, our verse, in Shmot, he uses it as a proof text to say, ho'alti means to agree to. In another place, in Dvarim, he says, ho'alti means to start. Okay? Any questions or comments on that? I know that was, I wanted you to see that little circle, but I know that it's, it's, um, it was con- confusing. Comments, questions? Okay. Now, Matt, Umidrasho. Um, okay. Umidrasho, Lashon Allah. Nishba lo shelo yazud mi midian ki im birshuto. 
So, and this is to be exp he explains it that it's the language of an oath. Uh, he swore to him that he would not move from uh, Midian without his permission. Right. And I'll go back to some of the things we were saying before, including what Tova said, that perhaps this is a two step process. Moshe made an oath that he was going to dwell with him, having nothing to do yet with a wife. Just, I put my lot with yours. Mm -hmm. And because of that commitment, that promise, mm -hmm. that I'm not going to leave the permission, Yitro says, you know what? Let's, let, let's formalize this. Let's, let's make you part of the family. Right? So Rashi may be hinting here at that idea that you raised, Tova, and others raised as well. That this is that it's not it wasn't a, that this verse is not a moment but a period of time, right? And it's clearly a period of time by the next verse because by the next verse he's already, you know, an Abba. Okay, uh, Marshall and then Rick. Marshall, we don't hear you yet. Um, in my in my commentary to Unculus, I found a delightful midrash from Targum Pseudo Jonathan which says that a legend relates that Moses desired to remain with his father-in-law due to the fact that he found in the latter's garden the staff fashioned on the twilight of the sixth day of creation, on which he subsequently performed miracles. There's a, um, I'm not sure which text is responding to which, but there's a list in Kirkea Vote of the 10 things that were created in the moment of creation that were kind of held in abeyance until they were needed. And one of them is Moshe's staff, that it, uh -huh. it's, part of the primordial gook of the of the universe they're just waiting for moshe to find it like like uh um what's that character who finds luke skywalker's uh um you know lightsaber in uh in star wars number seven um okay good uh rick a uh, question why would moses need to swear to ruel yitro that he's not going to leave uh, what's up with that and and then he goes ahead and leaves anyway he leaves in a couple of sentences. So what, what, what's, what's with that? What's all? Well, we don't know what's with it. I think what's, what's being, um, what we're invited to think about in this Midrash is that Moshe happens upon a well, does an act of chesed, and a, an enduring relationship is born. And a relationship of, let me say it this way, the, the relationship that Moshe and Yitro are going to forge we don't we don't see where it's forged. So the midrash has to has to has to create that that setting where they develop a bond that's clearly significant. So significant that in Parshat Yitru, when we get to it, when we come back from from Exodus, the first thing that Moshe does is not see his wife and kids. First thing that Moshe does is see Yitro, right? To tell him what happened. So there, there's something deep there, and the midrash is trying to figure out where that comes from. And so maybe. That's what they're saying. Moshe says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm, I, I got here because I was fleeing there, but now I'm, I'm choosing, sveeing, ho'eling to stay here. Larry, Diane, and Barbara? Well, just a, a comment on, on, on that, on, the, on Rick's comment. So first of all, <clears throat> it relates to the Yaakov story, whereas Yaakov went to stay with Lavan, and then obviously there was trauma when he left. So... And it would seem to me that there's a big difference between going and moving to the home of your of your father-in-law and your future wife, um, and you basically are saying, "I'm committed to staying here." And I could see why 
in many cultures, there would be a reticence to give a daughter if the uh, husband didn't say, I'm going to stay with you, as opposed to the case of um, Abraham's servant, Eliezer, whoever he was, going to find a bride for his son and bring her back. There it was clearly understood that she's going, she's never coming back. Mm. So mm. we go backwards to see that that would be part of the culture, that when you go to, when you move to another place, you're going to make some sort of commitment. So it's either implied or it's either explicit. Or we can go forward as you did, and I'm not going to make any more comments about what happened afterwards when Yitro, who was not Roel, who maybe was the grandfather, as I mentioned before, and not the father, so maybe it's not the same person at all, um, goes to see Moses. And there's a whole line there that one could talk about in the future. Right. Like the commitment I made to my parents when I uh, fell in love with a Southern California girl, that don't worry, I'll never leave the Northeast. Is that what you have in mind? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Obviously, it didn't, it didn't take completely or you've been more joyous this morning. <laughs> but I understand that too. I, I don't, if we, if we accept that interlude for a second, I don't think I've ever been m- more joyous for a World Series victory that was not by the Yankees than I was for the Dodgers last night, except for when, you know, um, I'm, I'm more joyous at every baseball game when the Red Sox lose to anyone under any circumstances. But in terms of World Series victory, um, you know, I still believe, I still, still Yankee pinstripes, but there's enough Dodger blue in me now that I could be joyful about it. And I knew before Diane said, in our case, it was a little bit different. Right. He, we got married and he took me off to Africa. So <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> Barbara. On that line, I'll, before I get to my point, my, my father came from New York and he went to medical school in San Francisco and he married my mother, but she moved back to New York with him. And he couldn't get a practice going and he went to his father and said, I have to move. I have to go back to San Francisco where my mother-in-law knows people. Mm-hmm. For, for the, until my parents' 40th anniversary, his mother, because his father died early in 42, and his eight sisters ignored my mother and basically my sisters and myself until the 40th anniversary when one sister said, we have to thank you. You've been a good wife to our brother. They, they couldn't stand him because he took his wife and went, he went west. But anyway, the, what, the reason I came on is I find it interesting that every word in the Torah is supposed to be important and to mean something very important. But we're finding here, and I'm sure there's other places in the Torah, where there's a lapse. We don't know what's going on. I mean, I agree that this is probably a much longer period of time than what you'd get. What you what 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 you imply from the Torah here, but it it just seems like it's weird that every word is supposed to be important, but yet the lapses aren't explained. Yeah, there there's a fundamental paradox in the rabbinic love affair and relationship with the words of the Torah, and hundreds of pages are devoted to this and the theological implications of it in Heschel's masterpiece Torah, Torah Min Hashemayim which is some people consider it to be his most important book, although it's, his, it's the least understood book because it's so thick and dense and it's written in Hebrew uh, as opposed to his English works. Although my uh, Rabbi Gordon Tucker finally translated it into English about seven, eight years ago. Why do I mention it? Because the, 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 the debate, the conceptual and philosophical 
and philological debate between Rabbi Akiba and Rabbi Yishmael and their schools of thought in the Talmud are, are dealing with a version of your question, Barbara. On the one hand, this text is so perfect and precious, every word is telling us something significant. On the other hand, we have this radical chutzpah that says we can, we're saying, we, we, we can guess at all types of different things that we think this, this text is saying, right? So either it's pristine exactly as it is and every word is, is, a, is a gift or it's open season, it's a tabula rasa. And somehow our rabbinic tradition holds up both simultaneously, right? So there's, there's nothing missing in the Torah, it's a perfect text. And the Torah is nothing without rabbinic interpretation. And somehow both of those operate halachically and conceptually at the same time. So you're right. There, there are plenty of places. In fact, most of the places in the Torah are begging for interpretation, which is why the Jewish relationship with text is very different. Not better than, but very different than the Christian relationship with text, which sees the text as more whole and complete and, and, um, and, and, and needing in an interpretive voice. I think I've told you some of you story, some of you this story um, at least once or twice, but bear with me because it, it's relevant to what you just said. Um, my early years in rabbinical school, I did a training with Peter Pitsley, who was the creator of the, the Midrashic tool bibliodrama, basically psychodrama using the biblical text. Some of you have done uh, bibliodrama with me. And it was a fascinating training. It was to train people how to lead them on their own. And it was an interfaith training. It was in Minnesota at St. Thomas University. And there were a couple of Jews, you know, rabbis and educators, and a bunch of Christian catechism teachers and lay pastors and things like that. It was fascinating. So even though we were all learning the same craft, the Jews had a, had a natural facility with what Peter was trying to do. You're Moses. You, you're, you're standing outside the tent of Jethro. And one of the daughters, you know, says, come on in. Moses, what are you feeling in that moment? Right? The Jews quickly were able to get into Moshe's character and, 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 and imagine and be playful. And for the first few days of the training, the Christians couldn't do it. They, they, were, so, they, they, were, they were so trained to ask the question, well, what, is the, what does the verse say, right? You're, you're Jesus, you're standing on the mount. What's going through your mind? They said, well, what, is the, what does the gospel of Luke say? They, they, they were not brought up with a tradition that allows them to be interpretive and playful with the text. Whereas we are, right? That's the primary schism that happens in the first and second century CE as uh, Christianity is pulling away from and, emerge, and emerging from Judaism. Is it a rabbinic way of reading text or a, 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 a less interpretive way of reading text? So there's a, there's a lot more to be said on that, but that is a, that, that's a, one, one of the key questions about how we are supposed to be in relationship with this text that we study and revere and repeat and mucha with and play with and change and twist to match what we wish it would say, both on the storyline and on the legal level. Um, maybe we should end here because we finished Arashi and it's 929 and we finished a verse. So unless there are... Um, yeah, that's right. And it was uh, in St. Paul. That's right, Sue. Um, unless it's, uh, there's anything else people want to say, let's finish here. And we start next week. Um, we'll read verse 22, uh, which we've already made a little bit of a reference to in this class, but we hadn't, didn't read out loud. There'll be no Rashi's on that. So whoever is called to read verse 22 will also be invited to read verse 23.
Um, final final comment here. Uh, his his agreement is, is showing a fealty to Ruel that uh, he will join his assets with Ruel, and indeed, uh, ultimately, he comes back with more than a half a million people uh, and his wife and kids to him. Yes. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Have a good day. Happy Wednesday. Day. See you soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.